0: Hello and welcome to episode thirty-five of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I'm Matt Larson, your co-host, along with Cricket Lou, and we're back again. I think we should not <laughs> talk about talk about time since we've recorded, and just go straight into it. We should. We should. All right. So we actually do have some. Uh, we do have some questions, though. Uh, we seem to have. Uh, well, they're, they're all, uh, they all appear to be uh, non-North American folks, or at least judging by their surnames.
1: Have the, have the North Americans given up on us? <laughs> Maybe they have.
0: <laughs> uh, well, you know, a prophet is never accepted in his home country. That's right. That's right. Uh, looks like two Greeks and uh, somebody from Finland. So let's just dive right in. Okay. So the, the first is from Evagelos Balaskas. And he says that he's reading RFC 2782 to understand the validation of an SRV record. Mm. And his question is, what is the max length of every field? And he's specifically talking about. Uh, he, he shows an SRV record here, and you know the owner name of the SRV record is weird. It's got the uh, the service name with an underscore and the protocol name with an underscore, and then the actual name where the service is or the, the service name, I should say. Right. And then, you know, like underscore uh, TCP or- Underscore uh,
1: HTTP dot underscore TCP, something like right.
0: that. Right, yeah. right. And then it, it has uh, the priority weight and port fields, which are numbers, and then it has a target, which is the actual domain name to look up. And so his question is basically, what's, what's the maximum length of all these fields, and is there maximum length to the entire record?
1: Right, right. And I I think that that in this case, um, he's asking about service, protocol, name, and target. Um, Service, protocol, and name are all parts of the owner name. So in particular, service and protocol are labels in a regular domain name. So labels in a domain name are limited to 63 bytes long, right?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's as straightforward as that. Yeah. Yeah. It does mean that if you had some crazy long name that you needed to look up an SRV record for, it would have to be slightly less than the maximum 255 characters uh, linked for a domain name because you do have to tack that service and protocol on.
1: That's right. That's right. And, and, and name, which he points out uh, or which he asks about, is actually sort of all of the remaining labels. So there's not a, a fixed limit to how long name can be um, it could be, I guess, as long as 255 bytes minus uh, enough to give you a legal service and a legal protocol label, right?
0: Yeah, SRV records are they are just kind of weird. I, re- I remember explaining, you know, of course, you and I have taught so many classes. We've explained this so many times, but it, it always is a little mind-bending to explain to people.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's It's kind of like... An m. x record, but generalized, and rather than specifying you know the the type of information you're looking for in the query type, you specify it in a label of the query name <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, which is is odd,
0: yeah, one more way that d n s is sort of reached as far as it can go with the uh, the base protocol, and we've had to bolt on stuff in weird ways,
1: yeah. Yeah, indeed. Now, the, there was one part that he asked about the uh, target, which is the domain name. That's the very last of the R data fields, the record-specific uh, data fields. And I think for for that, it's it's just a, a regular domain name, so it can presumably be as long as a, a, the longest domain name, two hundred and fifty-five bytes, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think I think that's it, right?
0: I think it is. Yep.
1: All right. All right. Well, that brings us to our next question, which comes from Joe, just Joe. Mm -hmm. And uh, Joe says, uh, in the early days, DNS queries were mostly just UDP and limited to 512 bytes, and TCP activity was mostly for zone transfers or responses greater than 512 bytes. Did the responses send a bit informing the resolver to switch to TCP if they were too big, or did the resolver just choke on the data and switch to TCP? Then as responses grew, eDNS0 evolved, allowing UDP responses to 4096 bytes. I'm interested in knowing how the resolution works with various clients. For example, my understanding is that when a Microsoft client queries, it sends a request. If it fails, it then sends the same server via all adapters on the host. So I guess it sends to the same name server via all of the adapters on the host. And he says, and if this fails, it queries the next server. Other operating systems probably use a similar method. So if the query goes out and the response gets squashed by the firewall due to UDP packet size, I'm assuming that it moves to the next server in the list. Is this accurate? Does it ever try a TCP query without explicitly requesting it from the beginning? I'm also assuming that there's a difference between the way a client requests looking for an active name server and the way the name server does its work. So that's really two Pretty different questions, right? Yeah,
0: several things to unpack. In yeah,
1: the yeah. There's there, there's at least two questions in there, and the first of them is is about um, how uh, back off to TCP work.
0: right? Which is pretty straightforward. Oh, there's what happens when you don't take the phone off the hook.
1: <laughs> That's okay.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I'm gonna let my hopefully my wife will answer it soon. So now, now the question is: Are we going to edit this out, or are we just going to leave it for our listeners to hear the podcast sausage being made? Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I was thinking we should leave it, but with every single, with every further ring, I'm wondering <laughs> if that was a good idea. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, so you know, he 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 basically uh, described in his uh, hypothesizing during the question, you know, he described how it how it indeed does work because there is a bit in the uh in the response the truncated bit the tc bit so indeed if uh if a server had more to say than 512 bytes why it set the tc bit and that was the signal to the resolver to try again over tcp
1: right right and and i think in in early stub resolvers um the the kind that that uh, are, are part of your operating system on your laptop or smartphone. And early um, stub resolvers, some of them just didn't do that, I think, right? They they, they just had no way of, of falling back to TCP. That was that came along a little bit later. Probably every modern resolver has that ability now, but I remember in the early days not everything could.
0: Yeah, I guess I usually only think of this in the context of uh, iterative resolver, so recursive name server to authoritative server, but you're absolutely right. A, a query is a query, and a truncated response is a truncated response. Um, yeah, does does a modern bind resolver, for example, that that would be you know in Linux and FreeBSD and everything, does that uh, does that? Are you sure that that retries over TCP?
1: I believe it has the ability. There there are some things I remember in the the manual pages for for the resolver. There were some options, for example, that were never implemented. Like uh, one of them. Um, Gosh, I want to say one of them, like, requires that the resolver use TCP, <laughs> which I think didn't work on, on bind resolvers, maybe never worked on, on bind resolvers. Um, on the other hand, some resolvers always use TCP. Do you remember that the old AIX resolver used to use TCP all the time?
0: I had forgotten that.
1: A little bit of trivia for you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I guess one of the reasons that I usually think of truncated queries in the context of server-to-server is that, it's usually uh, referrals that are large responses. That that's where you have to worry about potentially overflowing. When you think about the response that typically goes back to a stub resolver, gonna be the final answer to a query. Well, that's that's typically just a a small RR set and not a lot else. I mean, I guess some uh, uh, records in the uh, authority section. But my point is not not as big as a referral. Would you? Do you, do you think that's a safe generalization?
1: Yeah, I think so, and I think also with, um, yeah, you know, if unless your your stub resolver is actually requesting uh, DNSSEC data by setting the DNSSEC OK bit, you know, it's the it, it's the recursive name server that's actually going to have to deal with all that DNSSEC overhead, which is also likely to cause some kind of uh, uh, some kind of truncation.
0: Yeah. But then, as you pointed out, it kind of goes into a second question where he's talking about. Uh, stub-resolver retransmission.
1: Right, right. Um, And that really, I mean, for stub-resolvers, I think that varies a great deal depending on the make and model of the stub-resolver. Some of them, you know, some of them use uh, uh, an algorithm like the one he describes Microsoft clients using. I think the the most recent... um, Stub resolver on Windows that I'm aware of does kind of an exponential backoff, kind of a you know send a query, wait a second, uh, send another query, wait two seconds, and then and and so on. But it also, uh, it, as uh, Joe even describes, it does this kind of odd um, uh, backoff where it tries the first name server. Uh, in the list for the first query, and then I think maybe the second name server in the list for the second query, and after that it kind of shotguns all the name servers that it knows about uh, configured on as he says, all network adapters on the system.
0: yeah, I didn't remember or know about the all adapters part, but I definitely remember the shotgun to all uh, all name servers at once. yeah, it sort of gets impatient and says, well since since one person isn't answering i'm just going to ask everyone at once sort of sc- scream the question and see who answers first
1: yeah it's like throwing, throwing a tantrum it's also not not very neighborly behavior when you think about it because you know every every recursive name server with an earshot ends up having to resolve effectively the same query for this guy right yeah yeah um, I mean if he is talking about uh, or asking about the behavior of name servers, of recursive name servers. Um, I know, for example, the Bind name server has a fairly, I would say, intricate fallback where it'll initially send a query to a remote name server um, with EDNS0 set, and um, if it does not get a response, or if it gets certain types of failures in response, like a a format error, then it'll retry... um, uh, Using using no EDNS zero to try to to, to to try to push it through.
0: Yes, I've I've looked into this, and then and and um, buffer size, the advertised buffer size gets into this as well. That's right.
1: It sends. I think it sends like a a, a forty ninety six uh, buffer size by, by default, and the second query it tries a five twelve, doesn't it?
0: That that sounds right under the under the thinking that better to get something rather than nothing. Right. Uh, but that, geez, I wish I could remember the full context when I was last uh, worrying about this. But I think it has to do, it, it certainly has implications with uh, DNSSEC and anything that would generate large responses. Because, you know, you're, sudden, you're suddenly, see, it, it, it could be that the issue is not, uh, it, it, it's not the, the server at the other end, but the network in the middle.
1: Yeah, a firewall or or something like that. Exactly.
0: Right. So it's um. Well, shoot, I can't I can't remember the context. I remember at the time thinking that I that I didn't that I didn't like this idea, but I don't, I don't remember <laughs> why.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the idea, the the basic idea is, hey, I'm going to send the query and ask for everything he's got. You know, the largest possible UDP-based DNS response. And then, if for whatever reason I don't get a response at all, maybe that means that some you know, intervening firewall stomped on that response because it was too large, larger than 512 bytes, and it's an old firewall that believes that no UDP-based DNS message could be over 512 bytes. Therefore, I'm going to retry with a 512-byte message size and see if I actually get something. And then then finally, I'm going to try no EDNS0 at all, assuming that maybe the name server on the other end just doesn't understand EDNS0.
0: All right. I think we're done with that one?
1: All right. As done as Uh, we're going to be. Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right. And then uh, the last one is from Tommy Nicola. Uh, I think pretty clearly a Finnish name, N-I-K-K-I-L-A, but it's an A with what I'd call an umlaut, having studied enough German to be dangerous, but no doubt that means something completely different in Finnish.
1: The Finns do not call it an umlaut, I'm, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure they do not, yeah. Uh,
0: okay, so he says, Dear Mr. DNS, I came across a host having multiple CNAME records, although this is considered illegal in, according to RFC 2181 section 10.1, mm-hmm. and then he quotes uh, he quotes that section. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read some of it just to give you the idea what what that what that says, and 2181 is a clarification RFC that rolled up several years worth of uh, various things that we'd learned after going from just 1034 and 1035 as the as the base protocol spec, but th- based on various implementation and operational experience, uh, 2181 sort of wrote down a bunch of additional stuff that said, okay, <laughs> this stuff this stuff applies too. You got to do this as well. Mm-hmm. That's where our sets came from, for example. Right. Uh, so, so 2181, the section he quotes says, the DNS CNAME record exists to provide the canonical name associated with an alias name. There may be only one such canonical name for any one alias. That name should generally be a name that exists elsewhere in the DNS, although there are some rare applications for aliases with the accompanying canonical name undefined in the DNS. Uh, then he talks a little bit about DNSSEC and... Uh, I don't think any of that is worth is, is worth uh, reading the rest of that section. But he closes by saying, then, uh, I still see it used and resolved by Google or OpenDNS, among others, in an orderly fashion. What reasons are there for Bind not resolving this, other than it being against the RFC and thus broken? Or is there more to the matter? Could you shed some light on the matter round robin via DNS, which is a bad place to start your round robin, I know?
1: Hmm, OK. That's, a, that's an interesting question. Um I mean, I certainly remember the days when you could have multiple CNAME records, but that was a long time ago. Bind's been mm-hmm. enforcing that for, for for quite some time, at least on the authoritative side. Um, bind name servers have been spewing CNAME and other data errors. Um, I, I do recall; I think on maybe early Bind eight name servers, there was a multiple CNAMEs option that you could set. You could say multiple right, CNAMEs. It, yes.
0: would, it would give them uh, one at a time in a in a round robin type fashion, but you never saw them all at once. You just saw. It would just cycle through them and return one at a time.
1: Oh, is that right? So you yep. would you would never see the full RR set.
0: That's right. Ooh, I, remember, wow. I remember that very clearly.
1: That seems like a a, a violation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to return just one out of a out of an entire RR set, I, I think that you know the chief objection is that it's um, other than than trying to do sort of round robin, um, it really doesn't. Uh, it, it really isn't clear what you're. Trying to do um, with multiple C names, you're you know setting up an alias that at one point points to one domain name and at one point points to another domain name and so on. And I think that there are sort of official ways of of doing that with you know A records and quad A records and whatever else um, attached directly to uh, a domain name rather than via the indirection of a of a C name. Can you think of other reasons why they they might deprecate it?
0: Well, I, no, I, I agree with you. It's just not, semantically, it's unclear. I mean, if you think about uh, a, a similar restriction, that is you can't have a CNAME, uh, which is an alias. Uh, so you can't, this is where the terminology is so problematic. So you can't have a CNAME record, uh, which, which creates an alias coexisting at the same name with a canonical name. In mm-hmm. other words, you couldn't say foo.com is a C name to something else. And then foo.com also has, uh, say, an A record. Uh, And when you think about semantically what that says, it's basically saying uh, two conflicting things. The first foo.com is a CNAME for something else says, okay, foo.com is an alias, and anything you wanna know about foo.com, you should look over here at this canonical name. Right. So if if they're gonna be multiple A records, multiple quad A records, whatever, it's all over at that other name that the CNAME record points to. But then also you'd have a record that says, oh, foo.com has this address. Well you you can't have both. You can either have uh the C name that basically says, Look over here, don't look here, look there uh or you can have records that make canonical data. And so I think that that seems pretty clear the reasoning why that would be disallowed. And then if if you sort of extend that and think about two C names, you'd have a similar situation. You'd have one C name says look over here and the other one says, No, look over here. I mean which which is it?
1: right right and when you think about i mean the the behavior that you described returning one out of a set of cname records in an rr set uh, if you if you allowed multiple cname records attached to the same domain name that's the only possible behavior because if you were to return multiple cname records the recursive name server that's processing those has to start, has to to perform a query restart multiple times right they'd have to say oh look a, a, you know uh, this is an alias for A and B and C, and I was looking for A records. Therefore, now I'm looking for A records for A, and A records for B, and A records for C.
0: And uh, then, what do you do? Return the union of them, but yeah, they have different—they exactly. have different uh, owner names. So, yeah. So you—I w- I would think you'd have to just ignore all the others if you were. I'm just sort of imagining what I would do as an implementer starting from scratch. And if I ever received multiple C names in one response, you—really, the logical thing would be to just. Pick one and ignore the rest.
1: Yeah, yeah, but w- which also doesn't seem like the sort of correct behavior. So I guess the 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 sh- the short summary of what we're saying is that way lies madness. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I wonder. He doesn't give any specific examples, but he says he's seen it. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I know. Uh, you know, I, I know there are some managed DNS providers that. Will will do things like this, but not expose the multiple C names at once. In other words, they do like what bind used to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I would think if you're hiding that under the covers and that's part of a traffic management solution, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If if what you're putting on the wire is is legal, and if whoever is configuring it understands what they're doing, uh, you know, I think that's that's one thing. But I so I wonder if he's referring to that or if he's actually seen. Multiple CNAME records at once in the answer section of a message.
1: Yeah, I, I wish that he'd provided a domain name because it would have been fun to use either Google Public DNS or Open DNS or both to try to to try to resolve that and see what it did. I, I haven't seen one of these in such a long time um, that I'd be really I, I'd be really interested to see what various implementations did.
0: Yep. Well, maybe he will write us back if maybe he's not he given up in despair <laughs> since he sent his question. In December. <laughs> hey,
1: we, we answered it less than two months later. I believe that. Doesn't that, doesn't that meet our SLA? I,
0: oh, we have an SLA, <laughs> do we?
1: Yes, um, we do. We do.
0: All right. Well, I, I, think, I think we've wrapped that one up, too. All right. What's, uh, what's the weather like where you are?
1: Oh, it's actually it was a little foggy this morning, which was kind of a treat. Not too foggy, but uh, about 50 degrees and foggy this morning. A little bit warmer than that now.
0: Okay, well, here we have a foot of snow on the ground fell overnight. Yeah, I, I, I guess you guys got walloped, huh? We we did. It was it was interesting because the predictions, the, the various forecasters couldn't make up their mind that the spread was quite large. It was like 5 to 10 inches. Hmm. A- mm-hmm. and, and some of the models were recording more than that. And indeed, you know, we did get, judging by the pile of snow on the table out in the... Uh, uh, on the patio, there's every bit of a foot. Hmm. Wow! So of course that means that we're, you know, we're effectively trapped trapped in this house because <laughs> we've got two all-wheel drive cars, but they're not SUVs. So
1: they don't have the clearance. No. Yeah.
0: No, we're we're stuck. I I I doubt we're going to see a plow till tomorrow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't don't go taking any risks. I mean, better better uh, safe than sorry, as they say.
0: Yeah, no, we have we have plenty of bread and toilet paper. <laughs> the two things that you have to go buy. Yeah. And, and milk, we have plenty of milk.
1: Good. Good.
0: We're getting milk delivered. Oh, yeah, that's
1: nice. That's nice. I used to have milk delivered when I was in Boulder. It was it was a real treat.
0: The glass bottles.
1: Uh-huh. That's right. And do they it, give you a little uh, a little sort of insulated box for your porch?
0: They will be happy to sell you one. <gasps> oh, oh, I see. So I've been too cheap to do that, and so we put a, just a regular cooler out. Uh-huh. But that means you know you don't want to look like Ma and Pa kettle and have the cooler out all the time. So then you got to bring the cooler in, and you don't want the cooler sitting in your foyer. So then you put the cooler back down in the basement. So we do this little dance every week where we have to remember to bring the cooler up. So that's pretty dumb. I should just buy one of their boxes and be done with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, do, when, I guess they may not uh, deliver until the the snow is plowed, huh?
0: Yeah, it comes once a week on Tuesday. So since we're recording this on a Thursday, we we have our weekly supply of milk. We're we're all set.
1: Yeah. How much milk do you guys go through in a week? I'm just
0: curious. Uh, we order four gallons. Wow, that is a lot. That is a lot. We, we usually yeah we usually go through it. Uh, uh, two gallons of skim and two gallons of two percent. Okay. Yeah. They don't they don't do 1%, which is what I would normally drink. So I just indulge and in have
1: 2%. Oh, your kids are still little. I guess they they probably drink a lot of uh, a lot of milk.
0: They do. Well, we just they they've always liked it. They still like it. So, you know, I figure they're better that than soda or oh, absolutely. horrible things, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think w- Walt has moved away from milk for the most part. I don't think Greta really ever really, uh, she didn't ever like milk much. My kids are those bizarre species of kids who, who eat their cereal dry.
0: My little brother does that, and I've never quite understood it. No, I, I
1: don't understand it either. Cereal is, is substantially more tasty if you have milk
0: with it. Yeah, and and the more fat, the better. I There's always this daily decision when I... Stare in the fridge, which is which? Which milk am I going to reach for? <laughs> sort of depending on the last time I saw myself in the mirror and what I thought determines whether it's the skim or the two percent. Mm-hmm. But I was just reading, like literally yesterday or the day before, about uh, two different. Like one was a, a specific study, and the other one was one of these meta studies where they look at various other studies. Mm-hmm. And the upshot was, uh, higher fat dairy products might not be linked to obesity. Hmm.
1: So you get a, you get a pass because of
0: <laughs> with the higher fat dairy products, well, yeah, and the question is why is it like is it doing something chemically that makes your body burn the fat, or uh, do you feel uh, satiated sooner because of all that fat and you just consume less of it yeah i don't know, I just know that i love i mean if if i didn't think that it would make me rotund, I would have whole milk all the time. I mean, I just love it mm. Mm-hmm. You're a whole milk in your latte guy, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, actually, I go to enough places nowadays where they're so they're such sort of purists about their drinks that they do not make espresso drinks with anything but whole milk.
0: Yeah, Blue Bottle was like that, right? I,
1: yeah, I think Blue Bottle may be. I mean, some of the some of the San Francisco-based places are really, really hardcore about that.
0: Yeah. Do you know? Uh, have you seen the? Uh the web series that Jerry Seinfeld is doing with comedians in cars getting coffee?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've seen actually several of those. They're really good. Yeah, aren't they
0: good? Yeah. Uh, and so did you see the one with Patton Oswalt and the uh, DeLorean?
1: No, I haven't seen that one. The last one I saw was um, uh, Tina Fey, I think.
0: Yeah, I saw that one. Well, no, he takes Patton Oswalt to, um, or rather, Patton Oswalt takes him to some hipster trendy place in L.A., mm-hmm. and, and they don't, they, e- <laughs> they either didn't have sugar at all, or they didn't have any artificial sweeteners. I I don't, (laughs) I think it would be just great if they didn't have like any sweeteners at all. It's like, no, you just have to have this coffee like it is. (laughs) No sweetener for you, which would be fine. I don't put, I don't put anything in my coffee.
1: No, 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 neither do I. But I, yeah, I, 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 I imagine that would appeal to a certain, a certain group of people. Um, you'd lose the the caramel macchiato crowd i suppose
0: well who needs them (laughs) yeah exactly what you what you're doing is you're just getting rid of the the riffraff yeah yeah those people don't deserve that coffee if they can't appreciate it on its merits alone all right that's all i got
1: yep same here same here Shall, shall i take us out sure all right. Well, thank you, as always, for tuning in. And uh, I will add my abject apology for not <laughs> recording another another episode uh, sooner than, than February 13th. But hopefully this comes just in time for your Valentine's Day. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love your questions. Um, our email address is mrdns, mrdns, at ask-mrdns.com. And we'll hope to uh, hear from you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.